Greetings, I'm Rod Jans. Welcome to Hints of Gladness. In our current series of podcasts, we're going to explore the topic of contemplation. What does contemplation mean, and how does it impact the way we show up in the world? I'm hoping that these conversations will be a contemplative experience. So I invite you to join us, engage, and be open as we discuss my guest's spiritual journey and their contemplative experiences. My guest today is my friend, Linda Conroy. On the Still Point at Beckside Spirituality Center website, where Linda is a team member, it says, deeply influenced by the Christian mystical tradition, my spirituality centers around experiences of being known and held in the mystery of unconditional love and mercy. Franciscan, Ignatian, and Celtic spirituality have fostered my desire to see how all of life and all forms of life are interconnected and revelatory of indwelling presence, accompanying others in the ministry of spiritual direction and those who wish to do the spiritual exercises is both a graced privilege and deeply life-giving. Sources of energy and joy for Linda are being part of the Stillpoint community, experiences of beauty and oneness with the sacred earth, and sharing her life with her husband, Don, her son, and her precious family. Now, please help me welcome Linda Conroy. I think I can say this. Linda and I are part of the same supervisory group for for spiritual direction. I think we've only met once in person because of COVID. We had maybe one or two. Yeah, I think we had two two meetings that I was a participant in, and then COVID hit. But we've continued to meet on on Zoom, and those times have been really, really rich. They've just been awesome. So welcome, Linda. Mm, thank you. So this is all really an experiment. Linda, honestly, is the first person that I'm doing one of these interviews with. We have a number of other ones lined up, but Linda is is first in line. So thank you so much for responding. <laughs> and we're going to start out with a time of silence. And I know it's very counterintuitive in terms of a podcast, but I want to just invite our listeners into that. And it's it's interesting, Linda, I've done podcast before, where before we started, I knew this person maybe had sort of a contemplative or meditative bent. And it was great for both of us to just, you know, to spend some time in silence and ground ourselves and then, and then get going. So I want to invite you into this type of silence, Linda, and our audience as well to just be open and see what surfaces. So yeah, let's, I, I wish I had a bell or something, but I don't. So let's just, let's just begin. Great.
Well, thank you everyone for doing that. And, and I just wonder what's surfacing for you. What, what, how does, how do we find you today? What state of being are you in? <laughs> That's a wonderful question, Rod, because I, I so appreciate anything that actually invites me and, and possibly others into the now, this very moment that is, uh, <laughs> I, I know I've mentioned to you in our peer group supervision gatherings, not just to you, but to, to the group, that on the Enneagram, I, I'm a sixer in the head type space. And, you know, I, there was a period in my life in which I think I had as many books on prayer and meditation and contemplation as the British Library. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a... Uh, inside of me when I heard that a new book was out by Thomas Keating or something, you know, because it was pointed to, oh, I got to get more information. A real shift for me is that actually comes with a deepened embodied engagement as well as awareness with the climate crisis is what it is to allow myself to feel the now, not just to think about being present to the now, but to, to feel it and in a centered way, both head, heart, and, 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 and body. So my, my now, it feels like dimensional in a way. It's a beautiful morning here in Bellingham, Washington, and still point where you haven't yet come to, <laughs> Art Spirituality Center, is just radiantly alive. And so I'm sensing that effortlessness it is to be entertained by beauty in a way. But I'm also aware of grief pulsating through me. A a special person in my life let me know yesterday that her brother died. And and that's part of the now for me. And I'm part of the now for me is the Supreme Court decision of yesterday. And it it kind of, I'm jumping ahead, but it is. Okay. It brings me to the to this when when you asked me about it, it, this focus or offered this focus on contemplation, mm-hmm. you know, noticing for me how that how the, my understanding of contemplation keeps evolving as as my understanding of prayer and and my understanding of the divine or God and and I'm I'm so grateful I'm. I'm somebody who could be certainly described as a cradle Catholic, but I don't know if that makes, if that phrase makes that much sense to many people now, but what I would want people to understand about my being a cradle Catholic is that I was raised in a, I I am grateful for a very rich container to use Richard Rohr's language. I, I pulse with a sense of gratitude for the Christian mystics that feel very alive and their wisdom feels and their presence feels very alive to me. But I'm also aware of coming from a black and white world of right, wrong, in, out, who's in, who's out. And so things like the right way to pray and and the right definition of prayer and all of that, through grace, you know, journeyed through and kept moving and evolving. My understanding of what it is to to pray my understanding of what contemplation means. And yet, interestingly enough, a, a definition of prayer 
thought about today that has has not changed. And when we lived for many years in the UK, I, my spiritual director was Bill Broderick, a Jesuit. And one time I, I just asked him, Bill, what's your definition of prayer? You know, like, mm-hmm. I want an answer on what this prayer stuff is, you know, <laughs> which is interesting after, I think, being redirected in my life by the spiritual directs, the spiritual exercises of Ignatius of Loyola and, you know, just this wide, expansive sense of prayer. I still wanted a, I wanted something just real manageable from my spiritual director. So I wouldn't know if I was right or wrong, right? (laughs) And so the response he gave me was, you know, like, what's the issue here kind of response. He was, he had an amazing capacity for brevity, which is certainly not a gift I have, but... His, his response was, prayer is being with. Oh, wow. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. It stopped. It, it, it was so expansive. Yeah, yeah. It's so expansive. And it feels to me very relational. Because uh-huh. to really be with means an exchange is happening. It, you know, it's, there's one thing to be directed by, not yeah. by, yeah. or even companioned by. But to be with... Like, you know, my, my thought of, you know, some of the best moments in my life or when I just feel that, you know, have this sense of something, you know, has ended and we were with each other, whether it's my husband or, 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 or son, or now for me, the mother tree at still point, you know, that there was a sense of being with, being a relational exchange of energy. Well, now, years and years on, and living with that in a, in a way without effort, an effortless kind of beginner's mind bringing to that definition, I find that's helpful to me to trust that language about things like getting prayer right or wrong. It, it doesn't, it, it's a language that doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't matter with that definition. Right. Right. If, if there's an exchange of presence yeah. and there's an exchange of presence and the, you know, in a way, the audacity of mutuality implied in that definition of prayer, because it's prayer, it's being with the Holy One, the creator, the one who is, who was, who will be, you know, I mean, it's not like being with Don Conroy or, you know, it, <laughs> It's different, you know, and so there's a radicalness of it too. And learning that's been an evolutionary or an evolving experience to really breathe in to the the humility of God, the availability of God, the gratuitousness of God, the mercy of God, the 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 presence of God. I, I'm chuckling because when we talked a couple of days ago, I mentioned that Anthony DeMello, his under, understanding of, you know, the whole, you know, the purpose of the spiritual exercises is to feel the pulse of God in our lives. Oh, yeah. Which is another way of feeling being with
So contemplation in my kind of nowness state since that I did, I found myself when you first asked me, Rod, and, and gave me the topic, I almost, you know, religiously went and started reading Richard Rohr and Cynthia Bourgeau and Elia Delio to get like an updated understanding from them of their understanding of contemplation. And, you know, I read it several times, oh, that's really good, you know, and, you know, gee, I could read this one and compare it with that one and we could kind of have a reading session, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I could avoid completely answering what is contemplation to me. <laughs> <laughs> But then I thought that was a missed opportunity would be for me to, in a sense, name my own experience. Yeah. And I, I think that God is not a theology, but an experience. And, and so my experience of, of contemplation is those, those, well, first of all, just the practice, you know, the, the, the discipline of, uh, for me, when I think of, of silence, it, it's usually, I, I immediately go to contemplation or centering prayer, so, which is different than meditation and different in all kinds of different ways of being silent, but, or having a time of silence. But I kind of am deeply schooled by Thomas Keating. So I have centering, I, I use a sacred word and do a 20 minute sit each day and then I'm part of a, a centering prayer group. But that's, so that's like, when you, when I think of contemplation, at one, at one time I would have said, well, that's my contemplative practice. But that's a practice. Contemplation, hopefully, is my life in terms of a oneness. If, if Thomas Keating just loved it, he, it seemed like every time I heard him say this, he would chuckle to himself. So he really was pleased by this. He said, you know, if God were not breathing you, you would be an ink spot in that chair. And, he, and then he'd chuckle. You know? And so, but he said it in upset. I was kind of moved by the contemplation is noticing when I'm breathing. It's noticing that I'm breathing because I'm being breathed. And, and fortunately, I, I'm, I'm healthy and I breathe a lot throughout the day. When I'm aware of being breathed and, and also in the nowness of life, that's, that's a sense of contemplation for me at, at this moment in time. How did you discover Thomas Keating? I mean, for me as a Protestant, it was a miracle to have discovered him and all. But what about you? How, how did you discover him? Do you, do you recall? Yeah, through a Protestant. You did? Okay. <laughs> and why this has to do with centering prayer is I got to a great rod in which prayer time for me was a, a stack of books on the left-hand side. And I was done with prayer when those books were over to the right-hand side. Just reading a little book or a verse, or you know, just I was so there was so much doing in my prayer time that that I I was I was in without knowing the language at the time I was in a desert, even though I was praying, and I I have prayer time is a part of my life and has been since kind of the 
beginning of my journey into a sense of responding to a very personal experience of, of God's presence in my life. So I'm 73, and so prayer time has been a part of my life for 27 years. So that's a fair amount of time. But it's changed, or I want to keep saying it's evolved radically over that time. And and at one day, I, I just, you know, by myself thought, why am I doing all these words? And so that began kind of my wondering and exploring into stillness or something other than working my way through prayer. And then, you know, as life with a capital L or God or love would have it, I started rubbing shoulders or heard the language of centering prayer and then Thomas Keating and 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 Richard Rohr, when I lived in the UK for just over 15 years, it was pretty easy to get to live presentations of, of Rohr. And he was wonderful at, by the time I was going to live offerings by Rohr, they were not for Catholics. He, he let people know that he would not come to people who were charismatics in very in whatever denomination and very into prayer, but weren't involved in some kind of social engagement. Okay. And he would not come to Pax Christi or social engagement who weren't also in some ways actively involved. And so what does he do? He starts coming to interfaith mm. gatherings. So it shows I, his commitment to contemplation and action. Right. So the, the oneness of it. The yeah, three, the oneness of it. Yeah. The yeah. and. Yeah. No. And yeah. even and, I'm not sure that that means, uh, you know, a little of this and a little that. And I think there's a just the Martha Mary story has been a little mm. around. There, there is no separation. God is life. Yeah. And God is present, then that's prayer, right? Nice. It's my awareness to the presence of God that yeah. is is like anyway. So my my journey into centering prayer has been deeply served by Thomas Keating and challenged and enriched by Thomas Keating's to be so interfaith, interspiritual, whatever language one one chooses to do. So so non-denominational. I mean, he was 50 years ago, easily, he was meeting with rabbi, heads of Muslim, different major faith. If, if the prayer is about silence, there's no barrier. You know, if, if it's being present to each other in silence, there's no denominational barriers. And, and that itself is an experience of the expansiveness of God. <laughs> so that's how Thomas came into my life um, many, maybe 25 years ago or so. So the next question is, and we've just talked about contemplation in action, is how has contemplation changed the way that, you're show, that you show up in the world? I think it changes daily, you know, how I show up in the world. And it's maybe not so much contemplation, like, again, like something I could describe, but a part of contemplation, living with a contemplative awareness is it's just that living with awareness and you know another 
DeMello, Anthony DeMello's story that I, I heard maybe 30 years ago, and I hear all the time inside of me. And people who have, have come to me for spiritual companionship more than once have also heard this because I, I feel that it's one of, it's, it's something that keeps unfolding for me. Anthony DeMello teaches with such, for me, such great stories. So he has a story about a disciple coming to the master. And the disciple said to the master, I want to learn enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Now in Western, but we might say, I want to learn transfer about transformation, but story is, I want to learn enlightenment. And so the master said, awareness. And, and a year later, the disciple came back and he said to the master, I want to learn enlightenment. And the, the master said, awareness. And so he came back, of course, a third, the third year. But this time, you know, with some intensity. And he said to the master, I want to learn awareness. And I want more than one word. <laughs> Which certainly would have been me. <laughs> that would have been my request. Um, <laughs> and the master said, awareness awareness. When it, it's humorous. It is, it's profoundly true. You know, if I'm aware of my breath, if I'm aware that there's something other to see in this situation other than my anger or my fear, if I'm aware that there's something changing in me regarding what it means to listen to the cry of the earth, that's That's what contemplation means now. As well as this, this will be the, I promise you, the the last of the DeMello, and so invite others to hold DeMello's invitation to behold God beholding you and smiling. Now, for some people, God, for there was a stretch of, of several years in which God, the people I was meeting with, God was too severe of a word or masculine or remote or, you know. And so yeah, we've changed it to behold the beholder or behold love beholding you and smiling. Ignatius invites us to live with the awareness that we are created in love, by love, and for love. Sometimes I can get going into action and forget about the the breath coming from love. And then I can switch into performance mode and achieving and and scarcity and all that stuff. Consistency in spiritual direction, and it's a, a sadness, actually a sadness that I can feel inside of me. So it's it's real that that for the most part, regardless of denomination, and I, I, I certainly see a lot of people from other faith denominations or people who are not connected to faith denominations at this time, 
So it's not just Catholics, but core sense of, of, of worth is a, a pretty persistent virus or limitation. And so to me, to, to start kind of, if things like silence are brand new and there's, there's not been someone maybe inviting you to the depths of your belovedness, then going into silence sometimes is really hard. Yeah. It gets noisy and yeah. condemning. Right. As Keating says, the, it kind of, the sewer of your subconscious mind gets opened up. Right? Yeah. 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 Well, that's good. You have to have a sol- some sort of foundation in order to, to keep going or to handle that. You're just going to get, you're just going to stop. Forget that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, maybe that was my initial for years formation in, con- in contemplation was working through what it means to behold the beholder or behold God beholding me and smiling because that's so non-performance related. You know, it's not after I've done X, Y, or Z, but just just being beheld. Because that's what God does. That's what love does, is hold us. What are some practical ways that you see that? Like, what sort of practical ways do you see yourself being held? Like, my, my spiritual director used to often ask me this that question. He had a difficult time connecting with it so how do you see that working out practically and, and that's not a great way to ask it but i think you know what i'm i'm getting sure. at. yeah yeah well i mean i think it's a really earthy question and that's pretty key to actually <laughs> I, I would imagine awareness certainly helps like when you're aware of that you become aware of the divine being far more active than you maybe ever imagined that's that could be what i'm thinking that's one possible way yeah well, in dancing with, you know, just taking on a good day, even just for a nan- nanosecond, that glimpse into the fact that everything is revelatory. Everything is sacred. Yes. And it's kind of maybe even getting giddy about that, but or just delighting in that, that I don't, I don't have to do anything necessarily. Yeah. And, and, then, and then earthing that everyone... And everything is Christed. I mean, that's the incarnation, right? I, I'm certainly deeply influenced by the spirituality of Francis and Claire of, of Assisi. But Rod, I, I, I have a wealth in my life in that one, I have been just tenderly loved for 53 years in marriage. And, you know, people who know me have a deep respect for my husband. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm a piece of cake for him. <laughs> he is a strong introvert who just. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that actually, the whole theory of relationships. I'm not going to rip him for you, you guys. And I jump off these cliffs and then he helps me get a net, you know? Mm-hmm. But. And I jumped off the cliff and created the Still Point at Bexite Spirituality Center. I mean, I had been doing pastoral ministry for, you know, say 20 years and and started things in the UK, but it was always under the bishop or the, you know, it's always under male hierarchy. So 
one thing about coming back to the U.S. was this clarity that I wanted to continue to be involved in connecting with people through retreat work and spiritual direction. But I didn't, my time of being under someone was over. Again, because of my tradition, and that was for me a, a pretty major leap of faith. And, but I came to a new town. We, we moved to Bellingham. So I wasn't known by anyone. I wasn't known by the priest. And I, I, I didn't ask anyone's permission. And immediately, because I do know myself well, I knew that I have energy and, and some visioning energy, but I'm disastrous on details. And so very, I, I knew that I needed to do this with others. And so very quickly, other women said yes to leaping off the, the cliff with me and starting this center. And Still Point has always had a discernment team of at least three. And, and for most of the time, it's been five. And now our discernment team is four of us plus our, our mother tree, which I, I say that, that with respect and earnestness. I, I'm not saying that lightly. We're, we're very committed. Our journey through our meaning Still Point community journey through COVID has led us to a, a very deep and like unmovable <laughs> sense of grounded desire to to listen to creation, to to know what it means that we're of the earth and being a cause part of a cosmic ever evolving story with an ever evolving God of love right here and right now, interconnected. You sense that in nature, the beholding and the being beheld? Is that... oh, I think nature is teaching me, te teaching my body that, not, you know, teaching me that experience. And I, I sometimes get uncomfortable. This, maybe you could edit this out, but so, <laughs> feel free to edit this out. I sometimes, when I lean against the mother tree or mother tree, I'm disturbed. My head is kind of disturbed with the sense of energy I feel from just an exchange of presence. Mm -hmm. Now, even 10 years ago, I wouldn't have told you that yeah. in, in private, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> but in why... I celebrate that and want to nurture that is that as someone who is deeply desiring and engaged, you know, living out an engagement of, of climate awareness of, you know, how to do spiritual direction in a climate changed world. That's very important to me. I do a lot of listening, reading, teaching about the eco spirituality, and I'm profoundly blessed with a wise prophetic spiritual director myself who writes nurturing and heart and stretching homilies reflections on eco-spirituality so i th for me to be in the world right now means holding climate grief alongside with ever deepening awe and beauty for creation and our entanglement i i just Spirituality separate from creation in, in 2022 
is like half, half there. But that's just, that's my filter. Yeah. Yeah. I, there's so many things I could respond to and share my, my side of things, but I'm going to, I'm going to hold back, but I'll just say this. Nature's been a very special teacher to, to me as well. I started doing centering prayer outdoors intentionally over 25 years ago. And it was really the reason why I even sought out a spiritual director because coming from a Protestant evangelical background, that was just so foreign to, you know, who was I going to talk to about that? So that was kind of my journey into centering prayer and into spiritual direction and even contemplation, the whole nine yards was just getting outside to pray, which I continue to do to this day. It's a very special practice for me. But Linda, I want to kind of wrap up this part of the conversation. And I feel like we've successfully just gone with the flow. It's been great. I was looking at my questions and you've just kind of hit on them, whether you were conscious of it or not. So <laughs> great. That's great. good. Being, being sort of an agenda oriented person. <laughs> I mean, I've had to let that go, but you, you, you nailed, you were, you, you answered so many of them. So thank you for, for doing that. And thank you for being so vulnerable today and, and sharing and giving us insight into your life and your, your contemplative journey. I really appreciate it. But I, yeah. I, I don't think I, I answered though, and, and matters to me because I, I kind of went off on Mother Tree is that what I'm most aware of is that my contemplative life is supported by community. That's what I wanted to say. I, both the community I have and the discernment team, the still point community. Yes. So, yeah, it's in a church with Vatican II documents that the churches are the, the people of God. So I'm, I have a very strong sense of, of church with, with still point, but now I would include the people of God and all of creation or union with all of creation is is church for me and i feel so conscious of daily conscious of being supported interconnected by my community interconnected with my community and supported by my community excellent and that was one of my questions too was what sort of contemplative what does contemplative community look like for you because i i do i include that question because i feel like it is very it's very important and it's been a real source of joy and life for me. And our supervision group is just an example of that too. When we meet once a month, what a great touch point for contemplation and support and all the rest of it. And, yeah. and real life stuff. Yeah. Real life stuff too. Exactly. Yes. It's very practical and real. Yeah. Yeah. And authentic. Don't you find that? I find contemplatives tend to be very authentic and real. <laughs> Because it almost hurts too much not to be. Yes. We'll get to a point in which it doesn't work. I think you're planning on, I want to ask all of my guests to lead us in a contemplative this. And so... I'm just going to hand it over to you and take however long you need to lead us in a time of contemplation. I think you're going to do centering prayer. So I'm just going to say, take it away and I'll, I'll close it when I feel like you're, you're done or you let me know. 
Great. And I, because it's Zoom and, and, and because I am somebody who doesn't sit still that long and this has been going for a while, I, I'm personally fine. And we're not, yeah, with maybe just five, maybe five minutes of silence together. Um, so that we don't, and Lamont holds that our ego spends every waking moment thinking of itself, you know, so every waking moment, our ego is working of thinking in itself. And sometimes centering prayer can be 20 minutes of thinking of myself, which is gruesome, you know, but it's just great. Thomas Keating's constant reminder that, that it's all okay. You know, the only thing we can get wrong is by, you know, getting up and stopping doing it. But but for me in this setting, if, if we were to do like a 20-minute sit, it might just be too too much of a oasis for the ego. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so we'll do a, a, a brief one. And and when you mentioned, right, I, I do centering prayer. Uh, another beginner's mind for me is Thomas Keating over and over. All, any book I've read by Thomas Keating on centering prayer, you know, clarifies how I don't have it memorized, so I'll read it, that centering prayer is a receptive method of silent prayer that is both a relationship with God or with the divine and a discipline to deepen that relationship. And I have to say that for me, for a long time, it was just a discipline, just hanging in there because I, I had such a desire for prayer to be something other than words in my mind. But now there's a sense of, to use American language, a payoff because it is a a method of prayer that allows me to experience a relationship with God or for me, mercy. And because it's a relationship or being with the language again, of, you know, getting it right or wrong is no longer has makes such noise in my mind. So I did want that we actually on Tuesday, we share facilitation of our Tuesday centering prayer meetings. And on Tuesday was, was my day to facilitate. And I, I took from reading, a short reading, we do a, sh- a very short reading from a Psalm or Thomas Merton or, or a poem, whatever people choose. And we begin with that. And then we we go into a twenty minute silence. And I took mine from Nan Merrill Psalm, Psalms for praying. I I don't know if you're familiar with Nan Merrill. No. Oh, <laughs> a book I need to pick up. Then. Well, I need to familiar a person. Sunday, or you know what? She's available on the internet, and and you can just put your toe in your water and see if you if you like, uh, or or see what not if you like, but see what your spirit responds to her, what she does with the language of the Psalms. But I, I find Nan Merrill's wording just so relational. That's why I like her word. She, she supports my sense of being with, with prayer, in, in prayer. So I, I took a section from Psalm 125, and I was really pleased because a friend, a special friend of mine from the UK, who forever and ever, since I, I don't know, maybe, oh, yeah, forever and ever. When we lived in the UK, he would do graphics and make posters for my retreat work. He's a beautiful photographer. And so he sent me this 
picture a couple days ago, and it's just, it's a picture of a sweet bee from his, a sweet bee obviously from his garden, and I, I mean I'm looking for something and not finding it, so I guess I have to let it go. Someone just gave me a little bunch of of sweet peas, and I I think sweet peas are so fun, and it this is beautiful in its singularity, but often sweet peas are very entangled. You know, I, at least that's my experience. When I see them in a garden, they're often very entangled. And somehow their beauty is both in their singularity and in their entanglement. I just um, want to say to our listeners that I've brought up a picture on the video and we'll, we'll maybe share this on YouTube that we're looking at a picture of a, of a sweet pea. A sweet pea from Jerry Symes' garden in the UK. I'll add this to our show notes so people can see what we're talking about. Oh, fun. Oh, fun. Because it's, you know, here I'm in Bellingham, Washington. And since Still Point began, Jerry has continued his ministry to me and creating things for our spirituality center. And so I think Jerry actually wishes he weren't so entangled with me. But anyway, he still keeps sending because <laughs> entanglement means I'm always asking favors. But back to Psalm 125. I was drawn and asked you to this because of the beauty, because it's creation, and because this photo brought a different dimension to Psalm 125 for me. So as we take a few moments now to act on our desire to be present, to be here in this moment, if it's comfortable noticing your feet, noticing if you're comfortable in your body, in your way of sitting, and, and if not, maybe make an adjustment. Just a noticing of your breath, not changing it, just a, a noticing of it. As each flower in its uniqueness blesses the garden. The interconnectedness of all brings it to fulfillment. The interconnectedness brings it, brings all of us to fulfillment. Those whose lives reflect goodness and integrity become mirrors to love's way. They are like fragrant blossoms that bring joy to all around them, like open invitations for others to come. Come, enter the garden of love. Come, enter the garden of love.
as each flower in its uniqueness blesses the garden. The interconnectedness of all brings it to fulfillment. Come, enter the garden of love. Experience interconnectedness. Well, I was disastrous at being still because I was kind of bent on making sure, Rod, that you could see my little sweet piece that a friend bought. There was an outdoor gathering here at Still Point last night, and I was so pleased. It's the first time I'd seen her since COVID, and and she came bearing sweet peas. And so that led me to, again, to to stay with that. And and so even though I could, they they were hidden behind the computer, I could smell them. So I got to experience the the gift of interconnectedness through smell. Well, again, Linda, thank you so much. We'll, we will put information on how people can get in contact with you in our show notes, but I sure appreciate you offering to do this and, and everything that you shared today. I had chills and goosebumps along the way. <laughs> it was a wonderful time of contemplation and and... It was great to be able to connect with you. So thank you so much. It was a joy. It was a joy. And Tara Deschardins holds that joy is an infallible sign of the spirit. So that means that means we got it right. <laughs> going back to Rumi, not that we were concerned about that. <laughs> oh, namaste. Blessings of peace. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us on Hints of Gladness. For show notes and other resources, please visit hintsofgladness.com.